Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, said it before, the expanded universe, we dabble in history, stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every freaking week. Whew, that almost uh, took my breath away. Sounded like it did. Uh, it's probably because of my voice, it really gets to me every time. I just go, you know what, I was born for this, kinda. Eh. If I was by myself or something, I don't know. Because I'm your host, Scott Artist, from a barely known website called scottartist.com. <laughs> Wait, don't forget, Heather, it's blackpearlshow.com. Okay, now hit it. This is Heather Artist with blackpearlshow.com. Congratulations. I just had to prompt you on air to make sure you hit it this time. Because usually, what, one out of every hundred, you actually say the correct URL, the updated URL. Both work. Visit us wherever you want, but uh, we're trying to at least brand the show to the Black Pearl Show. <laughs> if I can say show multiple times. We have another bonus topic this week. Minutes 108 and 109, Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest will just simply have to wait. Because before we announce the topic, before we venture into maybe something just a little bit of a guilty pleasure. You know, Heather, that's what I'm saying, right? Sure. Okay. Before we... Do all that? What in the hell? What in the blimey hell is... Pirate Word of the Week. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two. Yarr! So what do you got for us this freaking week? I'll squeeze your squeezy cheese head off your body. <laughs> ah! <laughs> really? That's actually in the book? That's in the book. That's in the book. This isn't something you made up. This is no. in the official Pirate Lingo book. Yeah. Really? It actually came from Patch of Long John Silver Returns to Treasure Island. Really? And his whole line said, shiver me timbers. I'd like to squeeze my do- I'm sorry. Oh, my God. You had it. You had it. And then what happened? You flubbed it. Yeah. And I'm not cutting it out this time. I'd like to squeeze Mendoza's squeezy cheese head off his body. And you know what? This is so appropriate for what's coming up. <laughs> it's so appropriate for this minute's discussion. Because I would ask you necessarily about like the origin, but you already gave it to us. And I think we can pretty much understand what's going on here. But the big picture is, A, first of all, everybody can use that at work. Talking to your boss. <laughs> he wants something. You just call... <laughs> Tell him you're going to squeeze his cheesy head off cheese his body. Head. No, 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 His no. cheesy cheese squeeze head. Squeeze his squeezy cheese head off his body. So uh, this episode brought to you by Kraft Cheese in a Bottle, or whatever the <laughs> hell that squirt cheese is called. It's our official sponsor for the episode. But yeah, it really is appropriate. And it's official. I mean, we have... Okay, we've got the pirate word out of the week, everyone. Out of the week? Yeah. 
It's the pirate word of the week is done. It's out of the way. It gets you through that Monday through Friday stuff or whatever your work week is like. I don't know. Whatever that schedule is, you have something to use during the week. Because now I said, and I know I said guilty pleasure, but I'm not so sure that I can call it a guilty pleasure. I, I don't know. Maybe. The problem is me watching this film while I, well, okay. The problem is that I analyze, scrutinize, and plunder. You know that whole thing? Yeah. It wrecks it. But it's not that it's that hard to do so with what we're about to discuss. I mean, come on. With dialogue like this, I mean, let's freaking hit it, Morgan. Bad dog. Yeah, you pirates out there know exactly what's coming. You know, I don't even know if we have to do an intro for it, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna just go ahead and we let's sail for Cutthroat Island. Yeah, that's right. We're headed to Cutthroat Island. <laughs> oh my God, we're setting sail to Cutthroat Island, and I don't know how we've avoided this up until now. I mean, this is a Pirates of the Caribbean show, but how we didn't talk about this because this is probably the movie that could have slayed Pirates of the Caribbean from even happening. And so that's what I'm talking about. It's like a, oh, Mary, Mother of God thing. What <laughs> the hell are we going to be doing? Yeah, we're going to be talking about that. Infamous or infamous. Infamous, however you want to say it. What does that mean? Infamous. Oh, dusty. <laughs> infamous is, is when you're more than famous. That's right. It's more than famous. It's infamous Hollywood pirate flop. Cutthroat Island. Gina Davis, Matthew Modine, and all that wonderful acting and dialogue. I mean, hey. When you get choice phrases to actually end the movie with, like, bad dog, come on, we all know what we're in for. A little Tortuga fun happening, perhaps? I mean, come on. Guilty pleasure? I mean, need, need I say, seriously, that line is so cheesy? I mean, like, bad, cheesy bad? I'm going to squeeze that cheese right off this movie? It is actually good, though, in a way. It's like a fine wine. You pair that with a bit of cheesy special effects of Frank Langella being blasted through the ship thanks to a cannonball to the stomach. I mean, what more do we need? So I was uh, a little you know. slow motion. Well, we got that too. Trust me, we'll be talking about that. Because I was perusing the pirate headlines like I always do, you know, looking for some uh, gems to bring to the show. And I came across this diamond. It's a diamond not in the rough. <laughs> it's a rough diamond to begin with. Okay. It was like the shiny object that I couldn't help but read. Because obviously, it was a pure, like, blasphemy. I mean, blasphemy! But when the digital news throws out... Here's the title. Legendary pirate flop Cutthroat Island isn't perfect, but it's far from a disaster. My only reaction besides reading it is simply to ask the author, How dare you? I mean, how dare you? <laughs> of course it's a disaster. That's why we watch it over and over again. Or every once in a decade. Because of course it's... It's like a crazy flop, and yes, I mean, Cheryl Eddy is the author of this Gizmodo article. Twas a disaster, may I just say that? And that's actually more, like, on-point dialogue than this film ever had, by the way. It's just me uttering twas. I'm more on point with actual period dialogue than this <laughs> movie was. But that doesn't mean... it had 1995 dialogue? Yes, I am, by the way. And we're going to get to that, too. We're going to get to it all. And that doesn't mean, like, we can't enjoy it. Or hate it? Because I can see both sides of it. It's not like in 1995 we were flush with big budget in-theater pirate flicks. They were kind of a rare occasion. Seriously though, this bucket of bad dogs, pun intended, could have single-handedly nixed the Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl movie, and the entire franchise. And we'd be stuck here with breaking down Cutthroat Island one blimey minute at a time. So thank the Aztec gods Disney took a scallywag chance on this. 
and we don't have to discuss it one minute at a time because <laughs> that'd be pure torture. Although it could be really fun. Maybe that's the point of a show like this is to really talk about something like that. Maybe. But like I said, we can all enjoy or hate it together. Like one big, happy, good shit Venus crew. The love, the hate, your call. But just talking about the good is not going to cut it from this bonus kind of topic, okay? Especially when the Gizmodo article here, the Gizmodo... I said the Gizmodo, you know? <laughs> that's just idiotic. That, co- that comes from all the um, movies you've been watching this weekend. That is true. Gizmodo. That is, uh, I do bring that up. I think I have notes about that later. Kind of a comparison to this movie. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. But, uh, yeah, the Gizmodo. It's found on the internets, by the way. <laughs> I don't know, why, why would I say the Gizmodo? Okay, it's on Gizmodo. Jeez, that's so ridiculous. But it tries to rewrite movie history with a premise that is akin to this, like, Jolly Mon. Okay? We're talking Cutthroat Island is the Jolly Mon of the pirate big budget world. It's there. You're excited. Lands at the port underwater. There you go. It's at Harbor underwater. I mean, it's not a total disaster because we did like to see the Jolly Mon. Uh, but then it is underwater, like I said. I mean, so we're, we're going to see about that. But the numbers don't lie. Even if it's a great movie, when the measurement of success for a big budget action flick is a return on investment, then by all means, disaster is invariably linked to box office performance. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Because in 1995, the out-the-door budget, according to the all-known Wikipedia, indicates in, well, okay, this is at that time, a whopping $98 million budget. That movie had a $98 million budget, a $100 million movie. There was I, a lot of explosions. There was, and that's something we have to cover as well. But we're talking in 1995, a $100 million budget. And some places even say that that could be an understatement that maybe it got as high as $111 million. So there's some sketchiness there. But typically it's accepted at just below $100 million. And moviegoers, I mean, well, I mean, they showed their excitement. I mean, they showed their pirate excitement for this wonderful movie with a minuscule $10 million theater going <laughs> romp. Yeah, only $10 million bucks. But who the hell remembers what it was like in 1995? So adjusted for inflation, because I'm on top of it, just in case it came up, just in case you threw that at me. I wouldn't have gone there, but okay. Well, At least you're prepared. Yeah, I am prepared. Prepared for the show. And I'm using the government's Bureau of Labor Statistics website. This is solid gold data is what I'm saying here. Plus, it gives us a little modern day perspective. So we can have an idea of what a $100 million movie in 1995 was like. So in 2018 dollars, those numbers translate respectively to $164.4 million movie and a box office of $16.7 million. Wow. Yeah. That's not good. No. Not good at all. It's incredible. When you can't make your money but not back. Good. Come on. Even not even close even? to making their money no. back. Not even close. Not even halfway there. No. And it's not like it's even an Oscar-like movie where they're in it for the art and it helps propel things and all this kind of stuff. No. Yeah. No. It doesn't happen. I mean, you know, actually, I don't know. Did I check on any awards? It's got to have some There's Razzies. There's no way. Razzies? Was there any awards for it? I don't know. I didn't actually look. That could be something. Maybe I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. But if there's some kind of like crazy actual Oscar win for it, then I'd be shocked and I'd stand corrected. And before we get seriously into the dis- kind of discussion things, though, I mean, if it's possible to get serious. Four million opening weekend. That's not good. And I think that at the time, the standard for a like a hit was 10 million, 10 to 12 million, probably roughly at that time period. It's my guess. 
But I discovered that this blooming cockroach of a film was uh, in trouble before it even set sail. Yeah, there's my first cutthroat island pun, by the way. Gets me in the mood. But in 2014, the LA Times listed the film as one of the most expensive box office flops of all time, and it may have been a contributing factor to the demise of the film's production company, which is uh, Carl Co. Pictures. Carl Co. I can't say it. You know, it's really weird. It's like these C-A-R-O-L-C-O. Carolco, Carolco. Oh man, this is. I might as well say Carbuncle. Carbuncle Pictures. It's more on topic with pirate theme, anyways. But uh, may have been part of their demise as well as Gina Davis is like this bankable star because it debuted at number thirteen. I think you were just saying that, right? Is in my notes. Or no, you said four million dollars. Four million dollar debut, which was number thirteen. That's what it translates. I should have seen what other films were at that time. Got a Razzie Award. Did it get a Razzie Award? Well, I, the I, I, worst guess, director. Well, come on. That's an understatement. 2015, SC Media Works published a documentary, The Rise and Fall of Karolko Pictures. Actually, it was just nominated, not didn't win. Oh, it didn't win. Oh, there we go. Congratulations to uh, Cutthroat Island. <laughs> Anyways, it's a documentary which had some interesting clips on Cutthroat Island and the ramifications of the, kind of this flopping film, as well as like a hefty list of A-list stars that were actually being courted for the Matthew Modine's role oh, really? of Shaw. Yeah. It wasn't just like they went out and got Modine. There was actually all this drama behind the scene. And Michael Douglas, which we can get into in a bit, dropped out. And so they were on this like massive hunt to find somebody else and recording all these A-list stars. And now afterwards, they're probably like doing one of those, whoo, as they wipe the sweat from their brow kind of thing. It's like a narrow miss, probably at this stage. Yeah. They're like, thank God. But uh, I dug up this, like I said, this this interview, this kind of documentary. Okay, it wasn't really an interview, but it was somebody talking about this Carolco pictures and their demise as well as Cutthroat Island. So I thought, what the hell? I'll just go ahead and play it and then we can chat more about it in a second. So what do you think? Okay. All right. For Gina Davis' co-star, Michael Douglas was originally cast. However, he goes ran rampant as Douglas wasn't happy that Gina Davis was getting more screen time than he was. He wanted to be equal to her, but not after getting what he wanted, he quit the project. Now without a leading man, Rennie Harlan went on the search, looking at different actors, including Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves, Liam Neeson, Jeff Bridges, Ralph Fenns, Charlie Sheen, Michael Keaton, Tim Robbins, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Gabriel Byrne, with them turning down the role before signing on Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine had some notable film credits, including Birdie and Full Metal Jacket, but was not exactly at the top of the A-list, but he did have the advantage in learning how to fence. After signing it on Modine, Harlan shifted his focuses back on the production of the movie and noted that the pirate ship built while he was outcasting wasn't built to his standards. Unhappy, he had them rebuild the ship, but that would be amongst his several problems that would plague the production. From Harlan disputing with a cameraman, firing him and leading the several crew members quitting, to a fire on the ship and raw sewage breaking into the water tank the actors were intended to swim in. Cutthroat Island was a bit of a troubled production. Sucking through Kuroko's pockets even more. On November 1995, Kuroko, who just a few years ago was on top of the world with Terminator 2 and Basic Instinct, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, bringing an end to an overambitious company known for big motion pictures and big spending. Meanwhile, on December 22, 1995, Cutthroat Island was released in theaters. Critics gave mixed to negative reviews, and the film girls didn't flock to the picture, just making $10 million. At the time, 
Cutthroat Island became the biggest flop in Hollywood history, later on surpassed by 47 Ronin in 2013. Cutthroat Island was such a big failure, it not only killed Kuroko, but also hurt Gina Davis's career big time, making her much less of a bankable star than she was in the early 90s with her roles in Selma and Louise and A League of Their Own, as well as killing the pirate movie genre for a long time until Disney revived it with Pirates of the Caribbean in 2003. It also arguably hurt Gina Davis and Rennie Harlan's marriage, leading them to divorce in 1998. The only people who really didn't feel the burn was MGM and the film's composer, John Debney, whose soundtrack was highly praised and still to this day has a very successful career in composing music for Hollywood. Cuthbert Island would quietly sail out of theaters. This thing was just a whole disaster. Like, right from the get-go. Yeah. And often when you have that, it's hard for a movie to recover. And I don't know how much of this was actually out before the movie came, you know, to pass. Yeah. Because nowadays, things like this happen all the time. You hear all this stuff because of the internet, the internets, the gizmodo. You know, like with Solo, there's all this stuff behind the scenes that are happening and maybe it keeps people away from the theaters. I don't know. But in 1995, it was... It wasn't as common, I don't think, to have that kind of release of information. It's not like you had social media blasting no, stuff like that. we didn't have all that stuff back then. So, I wouldn't know because I'm not that old, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you just learned to use the internet. That was the problem. You're so old, you hadn't been able to use the internet. It took really? you all this time to catch you up. You want to go there? No, I don't, actually. I didn't think so. And I don't want to just like get all super serious, like having a bunch of like interviews and we're turning this cutthroat into this really breakdown of uh, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, so we can check out the movie. Give it the uh, Scott and Heather breakdown. Well, semi-breakdown. Not that this won't be serious either. It's going to be some of that. I just don't want to get like trapped in the business of Carl Uncle pictures or however the hell you say that. I can't say it. You know, I can't say it. Okay? Carbuncle. That's it. How dare you? Because this entire episode was inspired by the Gizmodo. Because I want to say the now on everything. But it was this article. So we should use that as the official intro into kind of what the hell is going on here with this decision to do cutthroat island all of a sudden because if we're professionals that would have actually already been covered before diving into some discussion on it but yeah hey this is the freaking black pearl show this is what we do we can barely get here on time <laughs> let alone plan ahead so here's how cheryl eddie starts this off and like i said gizmodo the article she wrote it okay maybe she needs to rewatch those pirates of the caribbean can't even say pirates of the caribbean wow. pirates of the caribbean it's a whole new thing. It's like a caffeine thing. That's weird. Maybe that is. Maybe they need pirate's coffee. Maybe. Trademarked. Boom. Phew. Somebody out there could have got that if I hadn't said that. But anyways, here she goes. Say pirate movie today and the immediate association is the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Of course. That was me jumping in to say of course. <laughs> it's not like she was saying that. But some of those films are terrible. But they all made tons of money. Not so long ago though, a pirate movie went down in history as one of the biggest flops of all time. Cutthroat Island. How bad is it really, though? That's what she's asking. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So she's comparing this movie, Cutthroat Island, to Pirates of the Caribbean. Kind terrible of. Terrible movies. Kind of. Yeah. Okay, boom. Good point. Because firstly, just reading this, like, okay, reiterating. I got so ahead of myself, I can't even say it. The blasphemy part that I said earlier. Yeah, blasphemy right there. Just exactly what you said. Okay, that's enough said. Plus, there's plenty of things that failed here, but worked in Pirates of the Caribbean. Let me just say Jack the Monkey versus this other monkey. Anyways, you don't remember his name? Uh, King George or something yeah. like that. King George the First, maybe. But anyways, you're right. 
she comes off with the idea that it's not as bad as this disaster that we remember it to be. And then she says that some of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were terrible. Yeah. That's a how dare you, for one thing. <laughs> yeah. And not even close. I mean, we're not even in the same universe with this kind of thing. No. And that's a lot to say for the universe. <laughs> at least at least Pirates of the Caribbean kept with the theme of the day. That's correct. Exactly. <laughs> at least you're immersed down. in the actual yeah. time that it is supposed to be. But anyway, she continues. And yeah, we're going to break how this, what she really means with this, because I kind of pulled some excerpts out of that. Why she comes up with that. And we'll, we'll be able to say, I don't think so. But anyway, she continues. You're flipping through titles, looking for something to watch to pass the time, and Cutthroat Island pops up. Gina Davis as a lusty, rum-chugging, sword-swinging pirate captain? It's a question mark there, by the way, that she had. <laughs> I got really into it, so I didn't really put the inflection that it was a question. But it sounds promising, doesn't it? All it wants is to be an old-fashioned swashbuckler with a little comedy and romance thrown in. With the added novelty of having a tough female pirate, Morgan Adams, played by Davis, at the center of this adventure. And honestly, despite some rough edges here and there, it mostly succeeds. Wait, do you really see romance? I do not. Did you really, I mean, did you get that feeling within the movie? No. When you watched it, did you get that romance? It's supposed to be, and I'm going to touch on why that doesn't work in a bit. Okay. But it's a lack of chemistry between those two that completely take out the romance of yeah. this movie at all. You do not, not get any romance. No, it no. should have been nixed from the get-go. Yeah. Not even to attempt it. No. That's the problem. And again, you can like it. You can love it. You can hate it. We're all here as a family on the good ship Venus. And if you haven't heard that song, maybe that'll give you some context. Or maybe you shouldn't listen to that after I said that. And then it makes it weird and creepy. But anyways, she goes on. The story and screenplay have six credited writers. Cutthroat Island doesn't break too much new ground. That committee of scribes did manage to come up with some very corny dialogue, however. Oh, yeah. The main plot is a race to capture buried treasure with revenge and assorted double crosses folded in along the way. There's also a budding flirtation between Morgan and a con man named Shaw, Modine, who kind of takes on the role as a bit goofier than Douglas probably would have been. Yeah. Right? So as well as twin villains in Dog Brown, which is flank, flank, I don't know, walk the flank, I don't know, Frank Langella. A pirate so cartoonishly evil his ship is named the Reaper, and the corrupt, bewigged British governor of Jamaica, which is Patrick Malhide, who went on to play Game of Thrones' Balan Greyjoy. Also, there's a teeny trained monkey named King Charles. There you go, King Charles. And in her 1995 review of the film, New York Times critic Janet Maslin opined that the only serious incentive for seeing this spectacle is a fascination with extravagance, since Cutthroat Island is indeed scenic, hectic, and big. Maslin wasn't a fan of the film, but that extravagance she mentions is actually even more fascinating in 2018 because the film was made without the benefit of today's sophisticated digital effects. Those explosions that Harlan, and that's the director, is so fond of. Presumably, that's real fire up there on the screen. Whatever it is, it's definitely more scorching than the blah chemistry between Davis and Modine. Okay, so that's what she's saying there. One more thing, and then you can jump in with your frustration over there at this Cheryl's article. But Cheryl wraps up kind of this whole thing that she's talking about here, this whole article. And I'm skipping a lot of other stuff that just really doesn't play into have any point that I thought necessarily that builds her argument for this yes. kind of movie. But she wraps up and gives the real reason for this headline, this like bombastic headline, that it's not that big of a disaster. 
And that may be so, but Cutthroat Island still manages to be entertaining in spite of everything, and that includes its overlong running time. It's about pirates. There are sword fights and cannons and treasure chests full of gold doubloons. So there you go. That's what she ends with, basically. Yeah, but it's overly running because 80% of the movies ran in slow motion. (laughs) It is a slow motion fest. Right? It is. I think he went for the slow motion rather than the bombs, you know, more so. I mean, I get what this Cheryl's trying to say. I mean, I really do. She does bring up some good points. I mean, kind of. I mean, it was in a pirate movie drought era, too, for one thing. Yeah. So it's not like we had a bunch of pirate movies. But just falling back on pirate stuff like sword fights and ships, I mean, come on, practical effects instead of CG is no reason to elevate this film no. to anything more than some, like, potential guilty pleasure pirate fun. I mean, I understand that parts of the Caribbean is, because of their day, is has a lot of CG that they were able to do. But that this movie wasn't. But it's just... I mean, come on. I see this movie as some background noise while I'm making notes for Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, <laughs> a, a Pirates of the Caribbean episode of, say, your Black Pearl show podcast, for instance. I know I know. a couple times I was watching it and I was like, I just got to get up. It just... CG or no CG with stuff that we like expect in pirate movies like sword fights and pirates. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's not the stuff of genre making film history to just include that. To say that it's not a disaster because you included pirates and treasure hunting and swords and ships. But that they, doesn't change the fact that it's there's some issues with this film. They couldn't even talk of the day. I, that's what I'm Speak saying. Speak in the right, you know, whatever you want to say. Words or whatever. Words, Jerry. Words. <laughs> oh, that's wood, Jerry. Sorry. And, you know, it's just... Gonna... When you pepper it with poor, like, kind of cardboard acting performances and corny dialogue, not even done with a tongue-in-cheek tone, because it's supposed to be like... I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or not. I'm not really sure, because it's yeah. some of it's too corny that it comes off like... I'm not sure. That makes me cringe a little. Yeah. So it doesn't even have that tone, and it deflates the film, and... It almost probably screwed us out of Curse of the Black Pearl. So then again, I say, how dare you? Cutthroat <laughs> Island. And then in the beginning, she, uh, Gina Davis, or Morgan, was walking around in a shirt, a vest-looking shirt, that was from that day. From? From the 90s. <laughs> so she's wearing 90s clothes. Yeah, it looked like it. The vest did. Vest I don't remember like she the was vest. 90. It, was, it was kind of... Um, Okay, well, it's brown, let me but set it was this up material on the back and then kind of sheer in, or sheer in the back and material on the front, which is a very 90s look. So let me set this up then because you're, you're talking about some of this. And before I go on to like some kind of crazy mini rant, this may have really been your first time seeing this movie. Is this possible? I think I mean, you throwed it on. Th- throwed it, throwed on. it on. Nice speaking. <laughs> I think you threw it on one day, but I didn't really pay attention. Either that or maybe you forgot about it. It's It's possible possible. I did throw it on because I was doing stuff when I was on another podcast and we were talking about other films and things like that. And I didn't go with this one, by the way. So what is your first impression of this movie then? Having just, say, watched it a few days ago. Besides the Gina Davis clothing. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say Earth Girls are easy clothing. It it doesn't uh, rank up there with Butterfly Effect movie I hate. Yeah, you hate that movie. I hate that movie. You know, I don't think you've seen it that you've seen it like once and decided you yeah, didn't hate it. Yeah, I didn't it. like it. It's kind of like you with uh, what's that one called that everybody likes and you hate and you've seen it. Hotel once. California. No, no, oh, no, we're no, not no, talking no, no, songs. No, 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 no. Oh, I forget the name of that movie. 
It's kind of like Napoleon Dynamite. That's what it is. Yeah, that movie never really resonated with me. <laughs> you watched it once and you're like, no, never again. It was like big <laughs> at the time. I gave it a shot. I wasn't really excited about it. If I watched it again, I wonder if I'd have a different reaction. I don't know. Because Would I? Was I being? Okay, was I, I just being one of those like, I'm going to be against society, like an anarchist <laughs> and not like the it's film? possible. Just because everybody because else everybody did. everybody likes it. Then maybe I didn't like they it. They quoted yeah. and everything. Okay. (laughs) But that, but yeah, but okay. So it wasn't completely like, well, I'm not sure I'll ever watch it again, but you know, if it's on background noise, okay, maybe, you know, but it was more goofy than anything. It has some of those elements in it. And that's the thing that takes a movie like this from a serious movie to a cult classic movie is that you can then enjoy it for what it actually turns out to be it's like watching a plan nine from outer space or a something like that yeah one of those types of movies but one of the worst lines in a movie i've ever heard is when morgan tells dog he's a bad dog exactly that's why i played it in the beginning why would you and then she blasts him with the cannon yeah absolutely awful line here's where i'm at with this okay and then we can talk about some of this Wait, more. Wait, you didn't let okay, me finish. Okay, I didn't know you were still going. Since when do you ever talk this much? Okay, what? And do I have to say anything about the slow motion? I mean, I've already mentioned this a couple times, but the slow motion was a bit ridiculous. It was. And on top of it, they were talking normal speed during the slow motion That's scenes. on my list. Okay, see, I knew this is why I was trying to hurry you along, because <laughs> I knew you'd end up going onto my list. My list of things. Okay, keep and going And did I then. mention slow motion? <laughs> Not probably enough for the amount that was in this film. <laughs> I'm done. You're done? Are you sure? Yeah. Because this is my stance on this particular movie. Wait, what's that I hear? Slow motion? No, could it be a list? Oh, yeah. Maybe it's a list of my favorite things. Maybe a bit askew. Maybe it's not like favorite things. Not quite so favorite. You know, more like infamous. You know, it's amazing how the show like runs in a full circle. So maybe we'll do this like kind of a top 10 style of my... Well, it's a, a take on my favorite things that I normally do. My favorite things start with a B. My favorite things start with a B. Pirates. Pelican. Blundering. So, A, that's my new little intro for a few of my favorite things. <laughs> When I have these lists, and that's uh, thanks to, I think his name is Peter Butts, that does Pixel Pirates. Oh, really? Yeah. So anyways, my favorite things. And it was appropriate because the pirates' favorite things start with a P. You know, pirates, plundering, pillaging, all that kind of stuff. But anyways, number 10, no recoil on the cannons. Nothing. Dang it. I mean, (laughs) don't anchor those bad boys down. Come on, guys. Equal and opposite reaction, man. Come on. Let them recoil. They do so at some points, which leads me to number nine on my list here. The big pirate ship battle. No destruction, number nine. (laughs) No, yeah. We're talking point blank range, dozens and dozens of cannon shots, lots of flames, and explosions. Come on, let's not forget the explosions. That'd be pretty hard to in this movie. But no (laughs) damage. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) Of all the sound effects, I need to have a wah, wah, wah No sail damage, no damage to the... Nothing. The Ships structure are pristine. of the ship. No. I mean, I understand that you don't have a spare ship to destroy. They couldn't spare a square here. 
But the lack of damage took me out of the movie. Yeah. It got, because it was so over the top with the shots and the explosions. And then I'm seeing there like no damage. Yeah. Come on. Number eight, the over the top good versus evil naming of the ships. Maybe I'm jaded with Pirates of the Caribbean because they did it so well. Yeah. The Black Pearl. You can have some like the Interceptor, the Dauntless. You can name some others. But they're, well, okay. I've talked about this before. The Black Pearl has a hat. It was like in Curse of the Black Pearl. Had some evil elements, the black portion, the pearl, which is kind of the the good portion. Yeah. But you can revisit some of those episodes. But anyways. Black and white. and Yeah. Yeah. The whole, yeah, I got into a bunch of the black and white symbolism and all that. Big on the symbolism, which I haven't done lately. So thanks for reminding me. Symbolism it is next time. Do you have some in this uh, movie? I don't really have any symbolism. I should have. Probably should have. The bad dog pun. <laughs> But maybe I'm jaded with Pirates of the Caribbean, as I was saying, because Morningstar versus Reaper, I mean, that's as blatant as it gets. Yeah. Come on. Really? Okay. You know, I can forgive that, though. I mean, kind of. Especially, that's why it's uh, on the upper portion of my list. As long as, like, with the canon recoil and stuff, it's like, oh, all right. I mean, even though, and I'm going to say this, the 1960s version of Pirates of the Caribbean ride established at Disneyland has freaking canon recoil. Come on. <laughs> Come on. At least I think they do, right? They have some kind of canon recoil yeah, they and do. stuff. See? They yeah. could do it. They could do it, man. Okay. Number seven. The corny and misplaced special effects. Because I'm going to use corny multiple times. Now, and I have this on kind of the list, even though I'm an avid fan of kaiju films. You know, especially those from the 50s and 60s. I mean, nothing is more fun than like a sea movie romp than a Japanese kaiju film with like men in rubber suits. You know, stomping on models. I love that stuff. Love it. I mean, Godzilla, Gamera, yeah, I'm in on it. But here, it doesn't work so much for me. It's not supposed to be the rubber suit thing. Because it's not about the models and stomping on them. And I'm not talking, because, well, okay. I'm talking more about the workability of these effects in 1995. There's explosions everywhere, as you were saying. Yes. It's like gunpowder was just stored at every corner. Yeah. By the way, this movie sets the stage for the awesome movie trope that I found. It's called... Here's the trope. And it's not just this film. I mean, I'll give its credit due. But it's called Made of Explodium. <laughs> that's the trope. Because everything does explode. Yeah. And like I said, it's not the only movie to do. So that's oh, my no. disclaimer. And then there's Dog. Morgan's foe gets blasted in the stomach with a cannonball. And we literally, and this is literally, see him blast through a couple of cabins on the ship and right out the stern. Boom. What is with that? I mean, really, come on. Who was the wizard that thought that would translate well onto the big screen? <laughs> Come on. There's a comedy and a slapstick comedy, and then there's just a comedy. Yeah. And that goes a little too far for a swashbuckler. Have some stuff in it, but you don't have to make it goofball-y. And there's also something with the explosions, too, that's just a little bit out of weirdness. Because they're running out of the town after this, the whole slave auction thing where they get Shaw. And there's... They're making a big deal that this is the pirate Morgan who has like a hundred pounds on her head. Yeah. You know? And they are blasting the city. Yeah, right? Blasting the city. Their own city over one person. Tortuga is a nightmare right now. Yeah. Being it's just exploded. Or where were they? Tortuga? They may have been Tortuga. Tortuga. Something like that. Yeah. Blasting it to hell. Citizens everywhere. Possibly dying. Yeah. Blowing the hell out of it. Nice job, guys on the ship. They're not attacking, they're actually trying to get her. Yeah. But blown up shops for a hundred pounds. For a hundred pounds. They made okay. more damage than that to the yeah. town. Oh yeah. Anyways, number six, overly long scenes and plot points. That's what I have. 
because that's pure rubbish. I like to <laughs> use rubbish for the day. But the auction for Shaw, okay, too long. And the premise for it, okay. They're looking for someone who speaks Latin and can only come up with someone in a prison cell about to be sold as a slave? Yeah. Literally. Again, I have to use literally. I do overuse literally. But this is literally a situation here. There are priests spouting Latin verses from the Bible walking down the streets in yeah. this movie. Just take one of them. Literally. Yeah, ask one nicely for a translation. If it's a no-go, give them the knife treatment and make them talk. Case in point. Okay, before I get to the piece of history here, it doesn't turn out to be Latin. But they thought it was. So yeah. we can, we'll skip that. But the whole point is they were looking for someone who speaks Latin. And like I was saying, there's some history here. Because as late as the 1720s, and this movie takes place in the late 1600s or 1668 or something like that. But as late as the 1720s, Latin was still used conversationally and was serviceable as an international auxiliary language between people of different countries, especially those who had no other language in common. For instance, the Hanoverian King George I of Great Britain, and he was reigned from 1714 to 1727, who had no command of spoken English, communicated in Latin with his prime minister, Robert Walpole, who knew neither German nor French. Latin. Huh. It's what's for dinner here. <laughs> it's everywhere. Come on. Somebody speaks Latin, not just the person in the prison. Yeah. Come on, Morgan. But back to my original point. Some scenes just too long. A good trimming was in order. That's a pirate pun intended right there. Okay. Bad editing. Number five. Some transitions from one scene to the next just completely are like abrupt. Not so well done. It's like one guy almost gets cut off. And I almost dropped a literally again, but almost gets cut <laughs> off of his words. Maybe that connects back up to number six. I mean, let some film fall to the proverbial cutting room floor here, guys. Come on. Number four. Heather touched on this. Where's the pirate talk? Yeah. I'm sure there's some pirate speak here and there. But the general feel of the dialogue is none other than old, tiny 1990s. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure there was any pirate speak. There, I think there was some R's. Not by... Okay. That's You're right. They're, okay. Not by the main cast. But by some of the pirate extras, there was pirate oh, talk okay. who actually spoke like pirates, but not of the actual main cast. So old timey 90s. The 90s are famous for having dialogue that was eerily similar to the 17th and 18th <laughs> centuries. You know? Yeah. That's why they probably just used it because it was so similar. They're like, hey, uh, we could just use regular yeah. 90s language. It'll work. It was so 90s. Though, it was incredible. It's like, oh, we can't, we can't deal with trying to teach these people how to speak yeah. properly. Or just speak your normal. Maybe they couldn't talk pirate. Maybe. And they're like, no, this will make the movie bad. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, no, that would have saved it. But give it a listen. Turn on the movie and tell me it's not a blast from the past. 90s style. <laughs> a movie intended to be a caricature of like pirate culture, yet it can't manage to pull it off. Pirates of the Caribbean, it excels at period dialogue. Cutthroat Island? Well, let's not speak ill of the dead. Number three. Heather touched on this also. Slow motion. Damn you, Rennie Harlan, director. Director of freaking slow motion. Come on, man. Enough with the damn slow motion. I mean, it was, seriously. It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't even know what to say. There's only and one the, thing they can say. What? Arr! We get an R. And the funniest part was when they've got slow motion going on and people talking. They're talking in regular speed. Yeah, that's the and problem. And there's slow motion going on. And you're like, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Yeah. As you pointed out, there's even slow motion when they're escaping the tavern, but their voices are normal speed. What the F? Who does that? Get the hell out of here. 
make it an extended yell or a groan. That way it's kind of like, oh. Yeah. You know, something that works in slow motion. But conversation during slow motion, give us your director's card back, sir. Turn that in. (laughs) I mean, honestly, enough with the slow motion in this movie. It's all over the place. If you see it once and then you start to look for it, It'll hit you over the head. Oh, yeah. It's like a sledgehammer. It's not even good slow motion as pioneered with the 300, say. It's slow motion in... Okay, slow motion in the 300, done really well. Slow motion in Cutthroat Island, again, need I say it again, just cool it. Just stop right there. Enough with the slow motion. Number two. See, I'm getting worked up about this. The corny dialogue, because now I have to say corny again. But do I need to play Bad Dog again? And I don't think so either. I'm not going to play that clip. Bad Dog. That is just a bad pun intended kind of thing. Okay, number one, and here is number one, the acting. My God, the wooden cardboard walk the plank acting. I really wish I had a walk the plank on my soundboard right now, but for some reason I don't. (laughs) But Gina, what happened? I knew this was going to be a wild ride right from the opening sequence. The double cross seduction scene that establishes kind of Morgan as that feisty pirate showing a bit of skin. But the corny dialogue delivered with some stale acting. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. What the hell? I don't remember her being a wooden actor before. Maybe it's because she ended up wanting off this movie. I don't know. Just wasn't in it? Or maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe it just was so bad that they're just like. Because at one point in time, she wanted, she's like, I'm done. I want to leave. I and they wouldn't know. let her. Yeah, it's weird. Strange. And that was my number one. But. I didn't add any euphemisms to the list because, well, you know, I, I, I like the double entendres. Because the delivery is something else. See my number one. See above in the top ten list. But yeah, the writers were close, but no cigar with making some fun euphemisms. If only on paper yeah. it scored with Gina Davis's delivery. They needed to really get in touch with Terry and Ted. Yeah. Like, can you help us out here? I don't know. There's also mechanical issues from the script to cinematography. Maybe you hadn't noticed. Because even that has some lackluster moments. You know, it tries to give us that Pirates of the Caribbean excellence, kind of as a predecessor. Yeah. But doesn't reach that level at all. For instance, nice water and horizon shots, but nothing that was entirely memorable like we get in Pirates of the Caribbean. No, not even close. Yeah, it's mediocre when you compare it to those movies. Yeah. A POTC movie. It's like half-assed. There you go. Yeah. I mean, there's it it tries and there are some good things, but okay. Yeah. Are you sure? It For instance, actually tried. What, what I noticed with my scrutinizing eye is that shots that should have been steady cam felt handheld, and those that should have been handheld to grasp the movement weren't. Now, we talked about some of the tech that came about in Pirates of the Caribbean to kind of perfect some of this stuff, but here, noticeably deficient on this front. It's like stuff that should be moving just wasn't, and stuff that should have or was what shouldn't have been. It's just weird choices they made in the cinematography so since you're talking about that the cameras um i did read somewhere that they had three cameras on every shot and that was one of the cost issues oh that's crazy so they had three cameras going on every single shot i don't know what's going on but it was just bad yeah all the way around of how they made the choice for some of those shots and some of them looked okay i'm not going to say that they weren't there's some I do like the long shots of the of ships on the water, those kinds of things. Yeah. But I don't know, something about it just didn't have that feel. Feel or clarity or something that really made it like this really big blockbuster shot that you were just amazed with. Yeah. 
if you want amazing type shots, you know, you can look at Pirates of the Caribbean, Master and Commander, something like that that have these really big sweeping shots that just blow you away. Like you're in a swashbuckler movie watching all this happen. This, not so much. Yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't walk away going, that scene is just so memorable. It, I think it even tried to do some underwater shots, but nobody can compare the underwater pirate shots like Pirates of the Caribbean. No. Can. But maybe that has to do with camera work or it, cameras too. It Maybe. That's possible. Because the av- advancement of cameras Possible. these days yeah. compared to maybe that's in 95. The, yeah, maybe that's the thing. I don't know. I'm just flabbergasted, though, with Gina's performance. Okay, maybe that and Matthew Modine, too. It's, it really is wooden here. Yeah. It, possibly the script and the dialogue maybe just ooze like these bad performances. But it's like George Lucas and complaints with the prequels and Anakin and Padme. You know, Hayden Christensen, Jake Lloyd, Natalie Portman. I mean, I don't know. I got to think it's like a combo thing because the director has to inspire and then obviously direct you have to pull out those performances sometimes i mean come on man here it's like they just did a first take at a table reading during much of it hey do you think it uh has to do with gina davis and rennie being just married maybe he didn't want to critique maybe they her. didn't feel comfortable or like hey you need like to that. yeah you need to do this she felt weird maybe that's possible because they were is. just married. That's possible. When they started this thing. It'd be hard. It, sometimes it's hard to critique somebody like, you know, your spouse doing that. Some people think it is. I know you don't. I but. don't, but, you know, some people yeah. might. But that kind of gets back to this chemistry between Modine and Davis. Because on the poster, it looks good. But when you actually get closer and blow away the smoke from the flask, you realize, hey, that's not real chemistry. It's just some colored water <laughs> with some dry ice dropped in there. Ah, <laughs> look at that. Bubbles and smoke. You know, not very often did I see in the lab colored water (laughs) and dry ice in there making bubblies. Yeah. Actually, I never saw that in the lab. And I was in a lab. I was in a real lab. never saw it. Except when we actually were playing and put dry ice in water. Maybe a little magnet stir and stuff like that. It's not like we had food coloring in the lab. Come on. Smoke and mirrors, you know, all revealed after sitting in the movie set. Or set, the seat. We're on your couch now. Again, this isn't to say the film's not fun at points. Setting aside some critique and setting, kind of settling in for some swashbuckler fun. Of course. I mean, after you've, and I'm going to preface that, yeah. Settling in for some swashbuckler fun with Cutthroat Island. After you've just finished watching all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Treasure Island, Captain Blood, Captain Phillips, Swiss Family Robinson, Seahawk, Princess Bride, Hook, Nate and Hayes. Maybe it's been forever since I've actually watched that one. And a handful of others. Then... When that's all done, you can watch Cutthroat Island. <laughs> ah, I'm going to settle in for some swashbuckler fun. Okay, wh- what do you have to say? I've been on kind of a rant. Well, I have a few a few little facts, actually. Because they shrewded the Cutthroat Island movie? They shrewded it. Okay, an <laughs> office reference. You missed it. Dang it. <laughs> um, Morgan Adams' flag was flown by Calico Jack Rackham. Really? It was the same flag. In yeah. what? In the Black Sails show? What are we talking about? Oh, in like real life? Yeah. Oh, so his flag was his one flag that they was used for Morgan. That, yeah, oh, really? Yeah, That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. And then the flag of Dog Brown's ship yeah. was actually the first known Jolly Rogers. Um, Jolly Rogers or Jolly, Jolly, Jolly Roger? Jolly Roger. Really? I had to, I was trying to come up with something the, pithy and then I couldn't, so. It was actually flown by Captain Emmanuel Wayne. Yeah, because it, and that was the one that had the hourglass on it, right? Yes. Which I was going to mention. But you didn't want to make fun of it? Yeah, and 
and then I yeah, so I didn't get into the pirate history. That's weird, but yeah, that was one of the things we talked about in the like an early episode of some of our shows, and probably the first season is that you know what actually is a typical pirate flag versus yeah. what we imagine it to be, and how the first kind of traditional Jolly Roger popped up, and often they had hourglasses or things like that on there. Yeah. Okay. So at least they did their their research there and got the flags right. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's about time. And actually... Congratulations, dudes. <laughs> this was the last pirate movie until Pirates of the Caribbean in 2003. That's because it almost destroyed Eight the years, genre. Though. It killed it. Yeah. Eight years. Everybody was afraid to touch it. Yep. But it wasn't... They should have looked harder at it. And I think that's probably why Disney ended up going forward with it. They're like, this ride is super popular. Yeah. But they looked at it and they go, come on, let's be honest here. If we're in the room with all Disney folks, you know, Cutthroat Island isn't something we should just set the whole genre on fire with and yeah. call it that that was just a problem because people don't like pirate movies. There was something else wrong with this. So good for them. And as I've said before, it took some convincing of Ted and Terry I, to yeah, actually that's right. get them. They they had the script, presented it to Disney like No, but I think they, no, they were. something. Oh, I'm trying to remember how that went because there was other writers that were involved oh, yeah, and they inherited right. it. Yeah. So they, but it had they pre- took it. been presented a couple yeah. times at Disney before Disney actually said, yeah, let's make and that movie. And they took some stuff and then basically people got story credits. I can't think of their names right now. Yeah. As opposed to, that's why you'll see story credits on the Pirates of the Caribbean films as opposed to, you know, some of them not having writing credits. Right. Yeah. I think we mentioned too that in the, in that clip that we played from Carl Go Pictures, this movie really had a lot of debacles behind the scene. Scenes. Probably is better Scenes. English. It's pirate horror. <laughs> but it wasn't that, like, this lead actor. Okay, Michael Douglas, big name guy, was actually attached to this film. And he suddenly quit. And they were saying how he felt like he wasn't getting as much screen time as Gina Davis. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And there was other stuff going on. But Gina Davis then was, I guess, also struggling to pull out of the film, too. In that the producer, David Nichols, had left, too. And that there was still no real script, or even that work had begun in Malta on one of the most expensive sets ever built without clear instructions from Rennie Harlan, the director, who was absent. Because while he was trying to find the Shaw replacement when Douglas left, morale on the set got really low. Because nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. And signs actually started to be posted on the set reading, if we build it, he will come. Huh. Referring to like the pirate ship and stuff that they were building. Wow. And then to cheer up the crew, Rennie sent a note laying out his thoughts on Cutthroat Island and how it was all going to come together. Hmm. So he's trying to get everybody excited about it. Right. According to the New York Times in 1996, I went to microfiche and found this. <laughs> to the <laughs> local library. Pulled up the microfiche. It's like this big old kind of weird orangey colored device. Because I'm thinking like 70s colors. Yeah. But anyways, interviews with dozens of people associated with every stage of the movie, most of whom mostly would like speak on condition of anonymity because they still work with some of the key figures in Cutthroat Island. And this is in 1996. Made it clear that from the start, nearly everyone knew that they were working on what was potentially a colossal dud, as they called huh. it. That's interesting. Because the film was mired in bankruptcy of Carbuncle Pictures. Carbuncle Pictures. Man, I'm never going to get that. According to the Terms of Employment Contract 2, executive producer Casser received a $1 million fee just for seeing the movie to completion, while the foreign distributors lost nearly all of their $50 million investment. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I don't know if he ended up actually getting all that 
paid because it did go into bankruptcy. He may have gotten one hundred eight hundred fifty thousand or something right. like that. I mean, that's just pocket cash, you know. But the problems didn't end there. Chief camera operator was dismissed because of what several production officials said were persistent disagreements with Rennie. And about two dozen crew members quit in sympathy with him. There were further delays when one of the directors of photography broke his leg falling off a crane into the tank in Malta. And at one point, some pipes broke, depositing raw sewage in the tank where the actors had to swim. I was going to say the sewage infested tank. Oh, yeah. Gave them that pirate smell. Yeah. Authentic pirate smell. And then even getting horses to the island proved more costly than expected. And several dozen horses needed for a chase scene using carriages were to be brought to Malta from Italy by ship. But production officials discovered that European community rules prohibited transporting the animals on the boats. So the horses had to, well, along with several dozen Hungarian grooms, were hastily flown in, more than doubling the initial cost. Flying horses. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird, right? I'm surprised. Actually, speaking of horses, I'm surprised you didn't mention the um, scene with Morgan on the horse. Why she's running, she's going so fast in front of all her other guys. Yeah, I okay. When you first started to bring that up, I thought it was that scene where she's fighting the carriage and she runs up through the store. Oh no! And then busts out through the other side and lands back on the horse, just like in the you know the the trope of the saddle. You jump and you land in the saddle. Then the corny dialogue is, "I have to go visit that store when I come back" or something like that. Yeah. Okay, set that aside because there are some crazy slapstick kind of weird stunts in Pirates of the Caribbean. So yeah. I was going to leave that, and I'm like, okay with that. I could see that coming. But yeah, the one thing that was weird to me was her speeding away like like she's on Hyo's silver here, silver the horse, just <laughs> blasting past everybody to get to that guy, the pirate, by the longboat that she just jumps off and punches. Yeah, I thought, what's with the other guys? What's, why are their horses yeah. so slow? That was the only thing. <laughs> it's not that she punches the guy or something. I'm okay with the strong woman pirate type here. It's the fact that her horse was three times as fast as the other guys. It's like, come on. What's going she on with the horse there? She left him in the dust. She did leave him in the dust. Yeah. And there's, uh, besides that, because I was still on my debacle stuff, Heather threw that stuff in because of the horses. But costs kept rising once the crew was flown from Malta to Thailand. Because in early 1995, aboard a chartered jet, they had to get, well, all these people were brought in from around the world. Stuntmen from Poland, carpenters from Italy and England, more than 2,000 costumes, 309 firearms, 620 swords, 250 daggers, and 60 or 70 axes were custom made as well. Jeez, and flown in. Yeah. Wow. It's insane, right? Yeah. And then the rap party was held in Thailand on, of all days for this movie, come on, April Fool's Day, 1995. And then Rennie nor Gina were there, but they did leave... The remaining crew with gifts, orange leather backpacks sporting the Cutthroat Island logo. Huh. Yeah. Thank God for eBay. Who wants a Cutthroat Island backpack? In orange. In orange. But hey, you know, we can't end on cheap orange backpacks. (laughs) I mean, let me let me at least. They were leather, right? You said leather. Did I say leather? Yeah, maybe they were. uh, Yeah, they were leather. So there you go. (laughs) On a hundred million dollar budget. Come on, you go all out with the leather orange backpacks. (laughs) But like I said, can't end on leather backpacks. Because let me at least say what I like about it. Well, the spectacle, of course. I mean, I like period pieces and swashbucklers. And I'll kick it over to you. What do you like about it? <laughs> what do you like about it? <laughs> oh, it's a good question. There's stuff to like. Yeah, it wasn't a bad movie. It was corny. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. 
It was a corny movie. You know, like, like I like the corny stuff sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think it has its place. Yeah. I wish I mean, there wasn't so much slow motion. There was a lot. Okay. And that's part of the problem with doing a show like this is when we start to watch other movies, we start, sometimes we get in that mode of scrutinizing, especially when we know we're going to be watching a movie for the show. Yeah. Then it has an entirely different take. Now, what we should have done is like, if somehow we could tell ourselves in the future to watch it, but not give us a reason why we had to watch it. And then I would discover this article. Maybe I'd have a different perspective as to yeah. analyzing it. Maybe I wouldn't have like spotted all the slow motion or just focused in on all the explosions, even though it would be mighty hard to do. Yeah. I do like King Charles. The monkey? Is it King yeah. George? King George. King George. King George. The monkey? Yeah. yeah, but even he's more slapstick than kind of Jack the monkey. He does a lot more kind of facial expressions yeah, that are true. like, you know, yeah. the surprised monkey look. Yeah. But there's definitely, and speaking of that, there's like some Pirates of the Caribbean links. Well, Jack the Monkey is kind of evil. Well, he is. And he's a skeleton sometimes. <laughs> but obviously, Terry and Ted saw a glimmer of hope, I think, in some of these things. And, and they took what didn't quite work, maybe in Cutthroat Island, and tried to make it work, or made it work, I should say, for a Pirates franchise. Because the monkey, yeah, it is a bit more slapstick and Cutthroat than in Pirates. Yeah. Jack the Monkey definitely takes like the monkey cake here, though. I think he's a better monkey character. Because oh, yeah. this one was relegated to more kind of slapstick stuff. Even though Jack does some stuff too. Yeah. But I think it's more solid of a character. There's also the Gibbs-like character, John Reed, played by Maury Chaikin. I think he was just completely underutilized, which could have made him better if he was maybe utilized more properly. Yeah. And then they didn't have some like quick edits away from right like when his dialogue is finishing up, they cut <laughs> away. And it's like, dude, you didn't even let him like say anything. It's like, I mean, that, and it, Cuts. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the Motley crew, I think, is more animated than the Morningstar crew. They try to make them animated. They kind of give that one guy uh, with the dots all over his face a uh, the tattoo marks. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, who's that guy? He's a bosun, isn't he? Yeah, but what was he? It was like a Moby Dick kind of character. I can't think of his name right now. Shoot, what's that guy's name? Queequay, maybe. Kind of a Queequay character. Oh, I don't. Maybe. Anyways. As much as they try to do so in Cutthroat, though, they just don't deliver as, like, a crew. Not as memorable, though, as in no. Pirates. And it's not like we necessarily see them any more or less than the other ones, necessarily. They're hanging along. They're tagging along yeah, on stuff. Yeah, But, I don't know. It's just something that they're not as memorable. And the same goes for the Reaper's crew versus, like, Barbosa or Davy Jones, which... Needless to say, Barbosa or Davy Jones have really interesting character kind of things. So it's not quite traditional swashbuckler. That's why they're more memorable, though. So I don't know if that's a fair comparison. Yeah. the black moons will sail. Years into the future, pirates will prevail. Finally, we've conquered death. All our worries gone. Every night our souls will rest till the break of dawn. And the ship sails on, back to beyond, over again. Till the end, centuries across the sea There's not enough for me All I want is to be free And hail Captain Blood On and on eternally With life of piracy Hail the curse of Gilmeggie And hail Captain Blood But I thought the music went well. I mean, I love the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtracks, but Cutthroat, it's really not that bad. I mean, it has that distinct swashbuckler feel. I mean, I need to watch it again to see if any stick with me like Zimmer's scores do. Yeah. 
But I can't like say it is or it isn't. But I, I, I walked away positive with it. It wasn't like I was like, my God, that music was like the 90s yeah. music. It did have a, a distinct feel yeah, to it. Flash teams playing on Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did you have anything else? I do have um, one thing. What? When we're saying, talking about pirates. Um, actually, Cotton made, made oh, it David to Bailey. this movie. Yes. Yeah, he was one of the pirates. He was one of Reaper's Dogs pirates. pirates. Yeah. So, so that's like an interesting tie-in. Yeah. It's like a link. Now that legitimizes the bonus show here. Or the bonus go. topic show, I Ties should say. Ties everything together. There. Now we go. There we go. However we want to say it. And maybe I'll just leave it at there. Maybe we'll wrap it up with Cotton unless you had other Pirates of the Caribbean links. Nope, that's it. I mean, we probably just keel-hauled more than I wanted to do to Cutthroat Island. More than I anticipated. But then again, love it, hate it, you tolerate it. It is a pirate film. I mean, there's no comparison to Pirates of the Caribbean like Cheryl Eddy tried to do. But then again, that franchise was a freaking game changer. Yeah. Kind of set the bar for all future pirate movies. That's the comparison now. At least for our generation. I think even for other generations, it's changed that. That's what's really spectacular. Is it took pirate movies like Captain Blood, Treasure Island that were mainstays, and it obliterated them on the radar, and now Pirates of the Caribbean is the gold standard for pirate movies. Right. That's definitely the case. But hell, I mean, this again comes from a guy, and I say that, about your, you know, taking our, uh, the rough shot on Cutthroat Island. Because we did it more for the show than really focusing on the, the good stuff. Yeah. It'd be a little bit more boring. But this does, this, like I was saying, comes from somebody who watches men in rubber suits smashing Tokyo. <laughs> in fact, instead of saying, yeah, I started a Gamera marathon over the Friday weekend. night, right? I did start it Friday night. Yeah. Sometimes those guilty pleasures are just cool to sit back with. And then, uh, you know, often it's fun to point out the strings holding up that spaceship or the obvious <laughs> models. There you go. Right? Yeah. I mean, who oh, doesn't want to see... Didn't you see a scene where Gina Davis was being held up by strings? Did I see... There was some weird string action, I think. But I don't remember now. I don't remember. I don't remember what that well, was. You but said it, there's strings there or something. I No, I think the way that the guy flew, you obviously knew that there was strings attached to him, but it, well, I don't think I necessarily saw them, but mm. I don't know. But I can sum up this movie basically with one thing. As we kind of roll out to the end of the show, this summarizes everything about this movie. Bad dog. So thanks for listening, Scallywags. <laughs> If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. Helps us out, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a shout at 8637pirate. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can... Eh, it might be there on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlshow.com. It is that freaking easy. We will be back next week with the latest episode of the Black Pearl Show, tackling minutes 108 and 109, most likely, of Dead Man's Chest, bringing back the recurring segment, Really Bad Eggs, and of course, delivering Pirates of the Caribbean to the masses as the dirty, filthy bilge rats we are, analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum and the watching of Cutthroat Island to a minimum. For God's sakes, keep it to a minimum. Is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally. One life of piracy. Hail
you've been listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout-out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shoutreach Media Production.